The succession crisis of 1066 would make kings rise and fall, and many coveted the English throne, and among them was William, the Duke of Normandy. William's ancestor was the first Duke of Normandy, Rollo. He was a Viking raider who would besiege the city of Chartres in the year 911. Although the siege resulted in a defeat for the Vikings, Rollo and a small company of his warriors would escape, and due to this, raids in France would continue. The French opened negotiations with Rollo to end the violence, resulting in a treaty establishing the Duchy of Normandy. Rollo would be baptised and assisted King Charles the Simple in defending his realm, and he even took the baptismal name of Robert. Rollo would also marry Gisela, the daughter of Charles, and his descendants would become Christian and quickly lost their Viking culture and became Normans. William was born in the year 1027. He was the son of Robert, the Duke of Normandy, but William was of illegitimate birth, and when his father died, he was still young, being seven or eight years old. He would succeed his father in 1035 and assume the role of the Duke of Normandy, but several of his kinsmen, including Guy of Burgundy, his cousin, believed themselves to have a better claim to the title. William was supported by his great-uncle, the Archbishop Robert, as well as King Henry I of France, but in the year 1037, the Archbishop would die, and Normandy would quickly descend into chaos. Powerful lords would think having the young William in their custody would allow them power over Normandy. Many Norman nobles would engage in their own private wars during the time of William's childhood, which would lead to many tales of William being hidden in the houses of peasants many a time. So, William the Bastard's reign did not start well. He would experience several years of internal strife. The chronicler William of Jumierge reported that the Duke's guardian, his teacher, and his steward were all killed by rebels, and many members of William's extended family attempted to unseat him. In the year 1046, William's enemies decided to finally strike. They would attempt to ambush him and kill him, but the plot failed. The rebel nobles led by Guy of Burgundy would raise an army, estimated to have been over 20,000 strong, knowing the response would be severe. After escaping the ambush, William rode directly to King Henry's court, wanting to protect his vassal and ally. King Henry himself raised an army of around 10,000 men, and then marched on Normandy. The result would be the Battle of Vallès-Jeune. In the summer of the year 1047, King Henry's army joined Duke William's much smaller Norman force in the heart of rebel territory. During the first part of the battle, Ralph Tesson, a Norman baron, decided to betray the rebels and joined William and the King's army. The battle consisted mainly of a series of cavalry skirmishes. The rebel army outnumbered the royal army, but it lacked leadership. William would prove his military prowess here, and would fight in the front lines alongside the king. After losing several skirmishes and many men, the rebel army broke apart and then found themselves running for their lives. The royal army pursued closely, 
slaughtering rebels by the thousands and driving the remnants of their army into the Orne River. A spectator recorded that the bodies of the rebel knights who tried to cross the river were so numerous that bloated bodies blocked a mill as the river carried the bodies downstream. While the royal army drove much of the rebel army to the west, Guy of Burgundy and his surviving forces escaped to his lands in the east and held up in the castle of Brion. Despite a long siege, William was not able to force the castle into surrender until the year 1050, and during that time, he was not able to assert his authority in the whole of his realm. The French king had supported William at the Battle of Valles June, but in the year 1052, he decided to go against William, perhaps fearing his growing influence over Normandy, and led an alliance of French barons against him. Two forces would invade Normandy, one coming from northeastern France, and the second entered eastern Normandy, and began widespread devastation. While Duke William faced off against the French king, an allied force of Norman barons and other lords came out of their own lands. The French force was widely scattered and was an easy target for the Norman forces. The fierce engagement lasted many hours, but the French left with heavy losses. Guy, the Count of Ponthieu, was captured during the course of the battle. The French king saw all of this from his vantage point on a hill just across the river, and he redrew the remainder of his forces. After the defeats of 1052, the rebellious Norman lords were exiled, the Norman lands of the Counts of Ponthieu were confiscated, and Guy swore oaths to William after two years' imprisonment. William would, however, soon face even more strife. In 1057, the army of King Henry and Geoffrey Mattel would ride for Normandy, with their aim being invasion and conquest. Their forces quickly began raiding and pillaging. Duke William, who appears to have been reluctant to oppose his overlord directly, gathered a large army, but took no other action besides keeping scouts out to report the invading forces' movements. When the invaders reached a ford on the river dives near Vadville, they began to cross, but when the tide came in, the process had only been half completed, leaving the army split in two. William seized this opportunity and attacked half of the invading army that had not yet crossed. William would surprise his enemies and turned the river red with blood, resulting in a massacre. The invaders retreated quickly from Normandy, and the battle also marked the end of the last invasion of Normandy during Duke William's lifetime. After the retreat of Henry and Geoffrey, William was finally able to extend his influence outside of his Norman lands. In the year 1058, William invaded King Henry's lands and recaptured the castle at Tillier, which had been lost to the Normans during William's minority. Again, proving William's military might. He had overcome a king who had once been an ally, and had suffered much trauma in his childhood, due to the murder of all of his parental guardians. This fire, however, had made William emerge stronger and harder. Kings feared him, 
and he was now one of the most powerful lords in France. Prior to the reign of Edward the Confessor in the 11th century, the English throne had been under Viking influence after the conquest of England by Swain Forkbeard and his son Canute the Great. Once the throne came back into the possession of the Saxon line, its power was much diminished. Edward the Confessor would be remembered as a politically weak king. His death brought about one of the most famous fights for the throne in history. Once Edward assumed the throne, he and Godwin the Earl of Wessex would become open rivals. Godwin was the richest and most powerful man in England, with his influence spanning beyond that of the king. However, King Edward would fill his court with Normans, as he had grown up in Normandy, where he went into exile during the first rule of the Viking kings of England. The Saxon earls would grow bitter at King Edward, surrounding himself with Normans at the English court, and as this happened, Edward found his power diminishing. The leaders of the ancient kingdoms of England, Wessex, Mercia and Northumbria, were drifting away from their king, with Earl Godwin of Wessex having the most influence among them. As Edward had no heir, Godwin would groom his son Harold to become the next King of England, and upon Godwin's death, his son Harold Godwinson would assume the Earldom of Wessex. In the year 1064, Harold would endure a disastrous visit to Normandy. For some unknown reason, he had taken a ship and had been wrecked on the territory of Guy of Ponthieu, a vassal of William the Duke of Normandy. William made Guy hand over his captive, and then, as a condition of release, he required that Harold should take an oath of allegiance to him, with death or permanent captivity in a dungeon as the probable alternatives, Harold took the oath. In William's eyes, his ascension to the English throne would now be smoother. In the year 1065, Edward the Confessor became very ill and he would die on the 5th of January in the year 1066. Several people claimed they should be the next King of England. The claims of the throne of these men were based on blood ties, oaths, kinship and links to earlier kings. Each claim to the throne was strong. There was Edgar the Etheling, who was the grandson of King Edmund Ironside and the son of Edward the Exile. Edward the Exile had died on his way to the English court, where he would have been named heir by King Edward the Confessor. According to the lineage system, he was the rightful heir, being a direct descendant of Alfred the Great. However, by 1066, Edward had a weakened power base, and in recent years, many Ethelings had been assassinated or had mysteriously died. Just like Edgar's father, Edward the Exile, and his grandfather, Edmund Ironside, who died under mysterious circumstances. There was also Harold Godwinson, who was the head of the House of Wessex. Wessex was the richest and most powerful part of England, and Harold himself was well known in court. He had acted for Edward the Confessor, and had fought in many battles. He was also the most trusted military commander in all England. In addition, according to legend, it is also thought that his ancestor was Ethelred, the King of Wessex, and older brother to Alfred the Great. 
with the crown only passing his direct line, due to Ethelred's son at the time being too young to rule, due to the threat of the great heathen army. In Norway, Harald Hardrada also laid claim to the throne of England. According to him, Edward the Confessor had usurped his nephew King Magnus the Good. Magnus had been named as heir to the Danish throne by King Harthacanute. After the agreement, Magnus believed that this accord extended to the English throne as well. Edward simply took the throne before Magnus, who would die childless. Magnus's co-king of Norway was Harald Hardrada, until the death of Magnus, in which Hardrada became the sole king of Norway. Hardrada now believed the crown of England was rightfully his, as Edward had usurped Magnus, and he himself was now dead. William, the Duke of Normandy, was another claimant to the throne. He claimed that not only had Edward designated him to be the next king, but that Harold Godwinson had sworn under oath that he would support William in his claim to the throne. There was also the relationship that existed between Normandy and England. Emma of Normandy was the great aunt of William, and Edward the Confessor had spent much of his early life in exile in the Norman court. The day after Edward the Confessor's death, there was a meeting of the Witten to decide who would become the next King of England. The Witten was made up of a group of many lords and bishops, and they considered the merits of the main four candidates, William the Duke of Normandy, Harold Godwinson, Edgar Etheling, the last direct descendant of Alfred the Great, and Harold Hardrada. The whole principle of succession had been turned upside down by the interlude of Viking kings, and the Witten no longer felt itself bound to choose a king belonging to the line of Alfred, when it was obvious that a strong man was needed on the throne, and Edgar the Etheling was a mere boy. Whatever promises Edward the Confessor may have made to William, he undoubtedly himself nominated Harold as his successor. The day after Edward's death, Harold was elected by the Witten as king. In March of the year 1066, Harold Hardrada began assembling his army. En route to England, he stopped at the Norwegian-held islands of Shetland and Orkney, where he collected additional troops. In southern Scotland, he also met Tostig's ally, Malcolm III, who gave him around 2,000 Scottish soldiers. Tostig was Harold Godwinson's brother, who was reputed for his strong military might, but had been exiled from England for going against the law of the land, and was bitter. He was the brother of the now King of England, and the King had not recalled him home from his exile. So Tostig made contact with King Harold Hardrada of Norway. Tostig would persuade Harold to invade England. One of the sagas claims that he sailed for Norway, and greatly impressed the Norwegian king and his court, managing to sway a decidedly unenthusiastic Hardrada, who had just concluded a long and inconclusive war with Denmark, into raising a levy to take the throne of England. Hardrada would soon arrive on the British shores and began plundering the coast. His army then went to Scarborough in Northumbria, where the locals tried to resist his army. Not wanting to waste any time, the Vikings burnt the town to the ground, which led other towns to surrender. 
The Viking arrival quickly reached the Earl Morcar of Northumbria and Earl Edwin of Mercia, who assembled an army and fought against Harold just south of York at the Battle of Fulford. The English would strike first, advancing on the Norwegian army before it could fully deploy. Morcar's troops would push Harold back into the marshland, but Harold brought more of his troops from the right flank to attack the centre. Even though the Viking invaders were outnumbered, they forced the Anglo-Saxons to give ground. Meanwhile, other Viking forces were still arriving to the battlefield, and they found a way to get around the thick of the fighting. The English army was defeated and took heavy losses, while the Vikings lost less than a thousand men. York surrendered to Harold Hardrada, and Harold's army would retire to Stamford Bridge, seven miles east of York, to await for the arrival of hostages. King Harold Godwinson would soon learn of the Viking invasion, and he would head north at great speed, with as many earls, lords and warriors as he could gather, travelling day and night. He made his journey from London to York, which is around 200 miles in only four days. This gave Harold Godwinson the element of surprise, as Hardrada and his Vikings had no idea that the King of England was so close. Until the Viking army physically saw the Anglo-Saxons, they were completely unaware of their presence. Harold Hardrada's army had no idea what hit them. Caught completely by surprise, on the morning of the 25th of September, the English army ran straight downhill into the Viking enemy forces, many of them completely unaware and hadn't even put on their armour. This surprise attack would culminate in the Battle of Stamford Bridge. The Vikings appeared to have quickly formed a defensive position in the front line, while the bulk of the army retreated across the bridge to the eastern bank of the Derwent River. The Norsemen who stood and bought time for the others were quickly cut down, but one man emerged from them and would stand guard on the bridge, awaiting the ferocity of the English enemy forces. According to legend, one lone axeman held the bridge against the whole English army to allow his fellow Vikings to regroup and form a shield wall. It is said that he was a Viking berserker and was no doubt the champion of Hardrada's forces. With the bridge being narrow, not many soldiers could fit through, so the berserker could fight to the fullest of his ability. Englishmen would advance towards him, only to be met by a swift death. The Norseman wielded his two-handed great axe and would swing it savagely, killing all men in his path. But as one Englishman died, another would run over his corpse and would fight the berserker. In the end, 40 Anglo-Saxon warriors were slain on the bridge, with the berserk having turned the river red with Saxon blood. Eventually, an English soldier floated just under the Viking warrior in a half-barrel and stabbed the berserker in the groin, bringing him to his knees, allowing the English to slay the legendary warrior and cross the bridge. This delay had allowed the bulk of the Norse army to form a shield wall to face the English attack. Godwinson's army poured from across the bridge, forming a line short of the Norse enemy. They locked shields and charged. The battle went far beyond the bridge itself, and although it raged for hours, the Norse army's decision to leave their armour behind them left them at a distinct disadvantage. Eventually, the Norse army began to fragment and fracture, allowing the English troops to force their way in and break up the Scandinavian's shield wall. 
Harold Hardrada, having more experience in war than any other man on the battlefield, got stuck into the thick of the fighting. The 50-year-old veteran grasped his sword with two hands and with no fear ran into the English army. He himself perhaps entered the state of the berserker and he fought valiantly with no armour or shield. However, completely outflanked in the chaos of the battle, Hardrada was killed with an arrow which pierced his windpipe. Harold Hardrada, the most accomplished warrior present, was struck in the throat with an arrow, and there at Stamford Bridge, he bled out and died. Harold Godwinson's brother Tostig was also slain at the battle. Godwinson had now proved himself to be a brilliant strategist and commander, and would cement his name in history by defeating the legendary warrior Harold Hardrada in his surprise attack at Stamford Bridge. However, to the south, another claimant had landed on the English shores. William, the Duke of Normandy, had come for his crown. As the English king Harold Godwinson was fighting in the north, William was sailing across the channel, with his aim being conquest and the forging of a new dynasty. William the Duke of Normandy would obtain consent from Pope Alexander II for the English invasion, and he would also carry the papal banner, signifying that God was with him. William also secured the political support of Henry IV, the Holy Roman Emperor, and King Swain II of Denmark. William and his fleet crossed the Channel, unhindered during the night of the 28th of September in 1066. After defeating Hardrada at Stamford Bridge on the 25th of September, Harold Godwinson had to march south with all speed in order to confront the Norman invaders. In the morning of the 14th of October 1066, William, the Duke of Normandy, divided his army into three groups, archers, foot soldiers and cavalry. Harold Godwinson's troops would approach under the cover of the woodland and they took up their positions on the top of a hill. This high position allowed them to harass any soldiers attempting to climb up by throwing javelins at them. The English would soon form a shield wall, with the front ranks holding their shields close together or even overlapping to provide protection from ranged attacks. The battle began with the Norman archers shooting uphill, but the English shield wall easily repelled the arrows. Next, the Norman spearmen would engage the English in melee combat. Upon approaching the English, the Norman soldiers were met with a barrage of javelins until hand-to-hand -hand combat ensued. William's soldiers were being decimated and they couldn't break through the shield wall, so the Norman cavalry would advance to support them. The cavalry was also unable to break through the Saxon shield wall. Although exhausted, the English army was in high spirits having just defeated Harold Hardrada in the north, and they would drive the Normans back as blood ran down the hill of the battlefield. As the Normans failed to break the Anglo-Saxon shield wall, the battle began to turn in the English's favour, and a general retreat began. A rumour then spread that Duke William himself had been slain in the fighting. Some of the Norman troops retreated towards the sea, pursued by the English, who at last left their positions at the top of the slope. As he watched his own army's flight, William, very much alive, removed his helmet 
so everyone could recognise him and rode through his retreating forces, shouting and gesturing. After being so close to defeat, the Norman horsemen returned to the front lines and helped William in leading a counter-attack against the pursuing English forces. The English would reform their shield wall and battle ensued. The battle would rage on for hours and with the autumn daylight fading, the Normans made one final effort to take the ridge. At this point, many Saxon lords had been killed, with two of King Harold Godwinson's own brothers having fallen in the fighting. This would encourage the King of England to fight to the bitter end. Godwinson himself would be in the thick of the fighting, slaying many enemy soldiers, but he would be killed in the chaos of the battle. According to one account, he was hacked to death at the hands of four Norman knights, in graphic detail. The first, cleaving his breast through his shield with his point, drenched the earth with a gushing torrent of blood. The second, smote off his head below the protection of the helmet, and the third, pierced the inward of his belly with a lance. The fourth, hewed off his thigh, and bore away the severed limb. William of Mamsbury stated that Harold died from an arrow to the eye that pierced his brain, and that a knight wounded him at the same time. With many different accounts of Harold's bloody death, historians agree that he died at the end of the battle, and met his end in the midst of the fighting. Harold Godwinson's death left the English leaderless, and their formation began to collapse. However, the soldiers of Harold's household guard gathered around the king's body and fought to the bitter end. After an entire day of fierce battle, William of Normandy's men were victorious. Harold Godwinson was dead, his troops routed, and the road to London was wide open. After the Battle of Hastings, William expected the English nobles to simply submit to him, but one of the old claimants to the throne would be proclaimed the king by the Witten. Edgar the Etheling, the grandson of Edmund Ironside, and the last direct descendant of Alfred the Great, would assume the throne. He was supported by powerful surviving members of the Saxon ruling class, such as Edwin, the Earl of Mercia, and Morcar, the Earl of Northumbria. However, these lords had already passed over his claim in favour of Harold Godwinson, and their loyalties were questionable. William would soon cross the River Thames, and as the Normans closed in on London, Edgar's key supporters began negotiations with William. In December, the remaining members of the Witten in London would gather, and took the uncrowned king to meet William, and submit to him. Edgar, with no army, no loyal English earls, and no allies, would do homage to William, setting aside his ancestral claim as the King of England, for a time. On the 25th of December 1066, William was crowned the King of England in Westminster Abbey. His achievement earned him the title, the Conqueror. Despite the submission of the English nobles, resistance continued for years, with there being many rebellions and uprisings in Northumbria. This would culminate in the harrying of the North, a series of military campaigns waged by William the Conqueror himself in the winter of 1069 to subjugate Northern England. 
As the last Wessex claimant, Edgar Etheling had been stirring rebellion and plotting in the shadows with Danes, Saxons and Scots to retake his ancestral crown. The savagery of the campaign represented what it was, two men going head to head for the throne of England and the result was famine, genocide and reportedly 75% of the population of Northumbria perishing or never returning. Next, we will see the results of the devastation of the harrying of the North and the climactic battles between the King of England by right of conquest, William the Conqueror, and Edgar the Etheling, the true heir to the Kingdom of England and last descendant of the Royal House of Wessex. I hope you all enjoyed the video. If you did, make sure to like, subscribe and share, and I'll see you all soon for another History Profile. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.